guys for leading us this morning as we get to sing to the Lord. While there's just a trio of you this morning, we, are, we thank God that you guys use your abilities to help us and lead us in worship. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 33. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word, for there is no word like your word. Our prayer is now that you, now that we've read your word, that you would help us, help us to, and if you would, incline our hearts and to turn our eyes, that we would see wonderful things, not worthless things. So help us, Father, in our moments together. Teach us, grow us, shape us into the image of your Son through this time together. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is now um, the fifth unit, verses 33 through 40. There are 22 units that comprise some... 119, 176 verses altogether, but each unit consists of eight verses. Each unit, uh, while uh, each and every unit uh, explores the role of God's Word in the life of a follower of Christ, each unit nevertheless has, has its own emphasis on a different aspect of how the Word of God uh, interacts with us and the experiences of our lives. The, the particular emphasis in this unit, verses 33 through 40, is uh, uh, about the matter of learning. The, the, the processes of learning are the particular emphasis. Now, and it's not that the other units didn't say anything about learning, all of this is about learning, and yet the particular slant here in these verses uh, double down on the notion of, of learning from God and learning from His Word. You know, the other thing I've said a number of times is that of the 176 verses, all but four are, 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 are couched in the language of prayer. They're, they're, they're all but four of the 176 verses are are conversations that the psalmist is having directly to God. He's talking directly to God. And yet what's unique about these eight verses is that seven are a particular kind of prayer to God. Seven of these verses 
are, are prayers of request. Eight different requests in the first seven verses are mentioned here. The psalmist is asking God from, for something. And really what he's asking for, since the, this emphasis is on learning, he's, he's asking God to teach him. He's asking for God to, to help him in the learning process. Look, look at, uh, look at the, the particular requests here in verse 33. Teach me, verse 34. Give me understanding in verse 35. Lead me in the path in verse 36. Incline my heart in verse 37. Turn my eyes in verse 38. Confirm to your servant in verse 39. Uh, Turn away the reproach. Also in verse 37, give me life. I knew there was an extra one there. I omitted it. But see, those are just Eight different requests that are, that are all bound around the, the emphasis upon learning. The, the psalmist wants to be taught God's Word. The psalmist wants to want to be taught God's Word. The psalmist wants to continue to be taught God's Word. The psalmist wants to continue to want to be taught God's Word. The, the, ta- the psalmist wants to experience all that, that, that he can experience by being taught God's Word. I would divide this unit into two parts, verses uh, 33 through 36. The first four verses are the first segment, uh, and then verses 37 through 40. Uh, those four verses are the second segment. You'll see an outline in your bulletin if that's helpful for you to pull out and follow along or jot notes. But, but the, the first four verses um, it, it, along this notion of learning talk about motivation and an orientation for learning. And then verses 37 through 40 talk about focus and the outcome of learning. Really, verses 36 and 37 are the, are the pivot verses uh, that, that transition us from uh, kind of what I would call the commencement of the learning process. And then 37 and follow uh, talk about the culmination of the learning uh, process. And, and yet, verse 36 and 37 are the pivots that transition us from commencing the learning process to culminating the learning process. And, and what verse 36 contributes is that it, it, it clearly addresses the matter of motivation. Motivation is an integral component to the learning process. And then verse 37 transitions us from the issue of motivation to to really a a cousin of a concept, and that is focus. Focus is an integral component to the learning process. Let's look at these two units or two segments, one at a time. First of all, motivation and an orientation for learning. Verse 36, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse 33, 34, and 35 orient us to, um, I think, something profound about learning, and that is there is a scope to the learning process. There are, there are layers uh, of, 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 of learning that we need to grab, grab a hold of. And, and, and he, he frames these layers, or he, he orients us to this scope of learning, all framed in the language of, of a prayer request. The psalmist is asking 
the Lord for something. And what he's asking for is it all pertains to the layers of learning, the scope of learning. The psalmist wants to learn, and thus he prays for his learning. Now, that's not something you're going to find in the everyday, normal, educational methodologies. I doubt that anyone's ever been to a, a teacher's college and, and gone through the teaching certification process. Not that I'm saying that's bad, but, but it's just so interesting how God's Word is so much, always so much bigger and better in how it lays things out. What we're learning is an important component of, an important component of learning is praying to be taught. Have you ever thought about that? Of course, I don't want to pick a fight with anybody, but if that's true, it's like, wow, and I, I seem to remember we, we, uh, we removed prayer from schools. Oh, oh well. Um, so, but here he's, 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 he's wanting to be taught, and he's praying for the Lord to teach him. And, 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 and so his desire to learn is expressed through his praying to be taught. Desire is a prerequisite to learning. When we're young, we, we struggle with the desire to learn because you know what? When we're young, we're convinced, there ain't nothing I need to learn. I know it all. I don't have a desire to learn. Been there, done that, accomplished it. And yet, what I have found is that now that I have transitioned my phase of life from being young and knowing everything, to, to, to now I've transitioned to being old and and run the risk of being stuck in a rut. And so now I, I, I've, I've somehow mysteriously, mysteriously, I think there was a 30-second window in my life when I, went, when I wasn't young or I wasn't old, and that was the only 30 seconds that I was genuinely teachable. I went, I went from being young and know everything, and so there's nothing you could teach me, to, to now I'm old, and you know what? You can't, keep, you can't teach an old dog a new trick. Now I'm just too old to learn anything. You see, either spirit, I'm, I'm so young, there's nothing I need to know, and I'm so old, there's nothing I can know. Either spirit chips away at, do you have a desire to learn? Is there anything that you believe that the Lord could teach you, that he could still teach you? You see, we're... We're never too young to start learning. That's why I am the personal librarian of all of my grandchildren. It's one of my functions in life to buy them good books so that early they begin to read. But yet we're never too old to stop learning. We have to have a desire to learn. Have you ever prayed about that? Have you ever prayed, Lord, would you teach me? Lord, would you give me understanding? Lord, would you lead me in your path? 
I mean, that's, that's literally what the psalmist is doing here. And yet, and yet in, a, in, a, in, a, in a really insightful way, these three verses that all are prayers of request are really showing us, long before we ever stumbled into Bloom's taxonomy of learning, showing us that there, are, there is a scope and, and, and there are layers of learning. He says there in verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And really he's saying, give me some content, give me some knowledge, give me some information. And, and of course, uh, that, that is so crucial to life. There, there are still things that you and I need to know. There are still areas of knowledge that you and I need to to acquire. And so we would pray to God, God, give me some more knowledge. But then he doesn't just stop there because human beings operate on more than just simply information. We are more than just simply brains. He says in verse 34, which I think is a second layer. In other words, not only give me information, but, but he says there, give me understanding. He's saying, Lord, give me some wisdom. I, I, know, I know the facts of these things. I have the knowledge, but, but Lord, now could you give me insight? And could you show me the significance of these things the, so that I have the ability to take what I know and use it? So that I not only have the information, but I know how to function in making good decisions and, and, and rendering good judgments in light of what I know. I mean, there really are people who are educated way beyond their intelligence. I mean, they, they, they factually know all kinds of information, but, but they don't know how to function in real life. They don't know how to make a, a practical decision. They don't have any skill in, in terms of, of this category of wisdom. And so he, he lays this, put, puts, this, puts this other layer here, give me, inform, give, give me knowledge, give me wisdom. And then he says, lead me in the path of your commandments. Lord, I don't just simply want to know some things about it, and I don't just simply want to have some wisdom in regard to what I know, but Lord, I, I want to live it out. I want to do it. I want, I, want to, I want to follow your lead. It's interesting, those three things, what I call content, significance, and practice, or, or knowledge and wisdom and performance, it, it, it's very similar to how Paul prays in Colossians chapter 1, where he says, he prays for the church there at Colossae, and he says that, I pray that you may be Filled with a knowledge of his will, there's the first layer, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, there's the second layer, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, there's the third layer. There are layers to, to learning, and when we follow those layers, when we know, don't just pursue knowledge, but we pursue knowledge coupled with wisdom, and not just knowledge and wisdom, but knowledge coupled with wisdom, wisdom uh, uh, embedded in practice and action. And we see something of the motivation and the desire in, in each of the, of the corollary statements of each of these verses. The second part of verse 33, and I will keep it to the end. The second part of verse 34, and I will observe it with my whole heart. Or the second part of verse uh, 35, for I delight in it. You see what he's saying? Lord, teach me. Teach me. Teach me knowledge. Teach me wisdom. Teach me practice. And Lord, then all of me 
wants to go all in all the time. And then you know what he says by, at the end of verse 35? He says, for nothing makes me happier. For, for I delight in it, is what he's saying. For nothing makes me happier. And he, then he doubles down on that by the emphasis of his prayer in verse 36, where he says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Here, here we are again. We're focusing upon how, how these verses are addressing the issue of motivation, or if you would, even ambition. I think that's what he's pointing to, motivation and ambition, when he says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. In a profound way, learning and the processes of learning and and even exploring the layers of learning is really a matter of what do you want? Do you want to learn this stuff? Do you want to learn these things? Or do you want something else more? This, does something else loom larger in your vision that grabs your motivation and compels your ambition? You say, well, but don't you wish learning about God and His Word and His ways would be a little bit more enjoyable? That's just it. The psalmist would go, huh? I find it enjoyable. I delight in it. I, I, I want to pray to learn these things because I want these things. He's telling us that so that when we read this and when we mull it over, that it's a, just a kind, gentle Nudge to say, this is what should have grabbed a hold of our motivation and our ambition. Now, I totally get it. You, you and I can bore ourselves and others with the Bible. But I would suggest this. While you and I could bore ourselves and others with the Bible... The Bible itself is far from boring. Which really then, this is like a sucker punch of a question. Then why do we sometimes, oftentimes, whatever amount of times, why do we find the Bible boring? You see, motivation is a precious component in the learning process. We learn, we seek to learn, we continue to learn. Whatever it is we delight in, you learn what you're convinced will make you happy. 
Psalm 111, verse 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Psalm 19, which is really a a cousin of a psalm to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, because it just talks a lot about God's Word in our lives. It, 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 It says, Moreover, by them, this speaking about the Word, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You see, the, the issue of motivation and ambition coming out. It's like, why does the psalmist want to be so, so particular about learning God's Word and keeping God's Word? Because he's convinced that there is an intrinsic reward in so doing. And, and, and yet, to even make this more wonderful, God's Word is not just dead letters in an old book. God's Word is powerful. It's living. It's active. It's the farthest thing from dead letters in an old book. And what I mean by that is even, you know what, when you and I are not all that motivated and ambitious to engage in God's Word, guess what? God's Word is stout enough and powerful enough that if nonetheless you will incline your heart to get into God's Word, it will create those desires. Jeremiah 15, 16, the prophet says this, Your words were found, and I ate them. So I got your words, and I, I ingested them. And then notice what it says in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. See, we're not just digesting any old word from antiquity, when we are ingesting God's Word, we are ingesting just that, God's Word. It's still alive and powerful and as strong today as it, as it ever was. And so when we ingest God's Word, even, even when our heart isn't inclined completely to ingest God's Word, when we ingest it, it's powerful enough to, to reroute our inclinations and to give us fresh motivation and fresh ambition to seek God's Word Second, quickly, not only do we consider then motivation and the orientation for learning, but focus and the outcome of of learning. He transitions away from the issue of motivation in verse 36 uh, to the issue of focus in verse 37. And I I think the two issues in learning feed off each each other. In other words, our motivation aids and, and reflects um, our, 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 in, in, in its focus, and yet our focus reinforces and assists in our motivation. So he says, turn my eyes, verse 37, from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Lord, give me the ability to have attention to your word. Not just motivation, but attention. Give me, give me attention to your word. Turn my eyes from looking at that or that or that or those and, and turn my eyes to look at this. You ever, you ever tried that? When, when you're not inclined to turn to God's word... Would you consider praying, God, help incline my heart to your word. Lord, turn my eyes to your word and not a focus on other 
things. I think what he helps us to unpack in this subject of focus as, as he goes in verse 38 and 39 is he helps us to think through focus by reminding us uh, of you and I live by promises. That's what it says in verse 38. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Do you, do you know why? Our focus, our eyes go here or go there, or our attention uh, is riveted on this or, or on that. It's because whatever it is we're attend- paying attention to, whatever it is where our eyes are focusing upon, we are considering the promises that are being offered in that. Now, God has lots of promises in his books, in his book. He's only got uh, books. He's only got one book. But uh, God has lots of promises in his book. But you know, God's not the only one who tries to make promises in life. As early as the garden, Satan was making a promise to Adam and Eve in the garden. And even today, Satan, either directly uh, or through his um, minions, it makes promises. And here's something to keep in mind about the promises of Satan. They promise much. I mean, look at the original promise. You will be like God. I mean, whoo, sign me up. I'll take two. You know, I mean, that's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Uh, they, they promise much. And, and yet, when we, when we begin to consider their promises, guess, guess what is occurring in our hearts? A misdirection of focus. A distraction leading us away from attention to God and His promises. Because the promises of Satan, on the one hand, they honestly do offer, they promise much. But here's what you have to understand. The underbelly, the dark side of His promises they deliver little, and they cost much. And yet, like that, we can be distracted by alternative promises. Even the psalmists earlier in the psalm, Psalm 72, he's, he's distracted by, by alternative promises. He tells us in Psalm 73, I said Psalm 72, Psalm 73, verses 2 and 3, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Man, what's that over there? It it got his attention. It seized his focus. He wanted to learn their ways. But by the grace of God, his focus was recalibrated. For in that same psalm, he says, beginning in verse 16, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me like a wearisome task. I went into the sanctuary of God and discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places, and you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. The psalmist, God, God's grace caught the psalmist and realized that while they promise much, They offer little and cost much. 
You have to keep that in mind. And that's what he's saying here in verse 38 of our, uh, of, of, of our psalm. Psalm 119 is, Confirm to your servant your promises that you may be feared. An outcome of learning, an outcome of learning God's ways is that we would know how to rightly revere and honor and fear our God. Verse 39, turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. And particularly if this is, if this, again, once again, if this is Daniel that we're dealing with here, Daniel is being attacked uh, by others who are in positions of power. He's being, if you would, oppressed, and, 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 he, and they're, 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 they're trying to embarrass him and, and, and to bring an end to him with bogus accusations. And, and he, he's, he's appealing to God in that moment of crisis. Turn away the reproach that I dread. And what I would suggest to you he's saying in the second part of verse 39 is, for your rules, I think here he means more like your decisions, your judgments are good. In other words, I will, I will trust you with the outcome of these things. And then verse 40, it's the only verse in this segment that doesn't have a prayer of request. It's really a statement of of affirmation. After he's prayed these eight requests, behold, I long for your precepts. He's begun with motivation or desire. He's continued on with focus or attention. And now he's back in verse 40 by affirming his desire for God and for learning God's ways. For behold, I long for your precepts. It's what he wants. And, and yet he wants this because he's convinced that guess what accompanies a life in pursuit of God and his word? What accompanies that is life. That's why he asked in verse 37... He asks in verse, um, he affirms in verse 40, uh, give me life, verse 37, and I'll find life in you, in essence, in verse 40. Where will you find life? Where will we find life? Not, Not just a breathing existence. Not just, look here, I got a heartbeat, I must be alive. He's talking about more than a physical existence here. Where will we find life? Because I guarantee you, what, where, however you and I answered that question, that is what is motivating our pursuits, and that is what's grabbing hold of our focus and our attention. We are ordering our lives motivationally and attention-wise in in regard to what we are convinced brings us life. And the wonderful thing about God's Word is God's Word makes these bold claims. It is the Word of God that gives us life. And yet, even more specifically, what we learn from the Word of God about this life is that this Word of God actually took on flesh and became Jesus. And it is Jesus through the Word of God, that gives us life. He, he, he would say as much in John 10.10, 10, For I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's what you and I want. And that's what God offers through His Son. The one who, whose life was sinless, 
the one whose death was the death of an innocent one, but the one whose sinless life and innocent death became a substitute for you and I, any and all who would turn from ourselves, and we would turn to Jesus, trust only in Him. In Him, there is life, life abundant, life eternal, life down the road, life here and now. And we discovered this Jesus through God's precious gift, His Word. Give me life in your righteousness. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word teaches us, for how what your word shows us, for whom, for who is shown to us in your word, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, open our eyes and incline our hearts and turn our eyes from looking at worthless things And Father, may we see Jesus, and may we see Him in all of His majesty, in all of His joy, in all of His beauty. May we see Him not only in His perfect life, but His perfect sacrifice. May we see Jesus even in His exalted state, and may our hearts be quiet. May our hearts be content. May our hearts be happy. May our hearts be made strong. May our hearts be filled and overflowing and abounding with the very love of Christ. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.